It's our last mailbag of 2021, ahead on today's episode of the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, December 29th, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thanking you for making this show your first listen each day. Today we have our weekly mailbag. It is the final mailbag of the calendar year 2021. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. We begin with a question from Greg. Hey, John, you talked a lot about Barrios getting a huge target share early in the season, and I agree he should not be a number one receiver. He does seem to make a lot of clutch plays, however and seems to have carved out a role for himself that we expected Keelan Cole to fill when the season started. Given the chemistry he seems to have with Wilson, do you think it would make sense for the Jets to sign him to an extension in the offseason? I do think it would make sense, Greg. So my issues with Barrios earlier in the season were that the Jets were essentially giving him more targets than anybody else on the roster. And Braxton Barrios is not a number one receiver. In fact, this complaint goes back to last year, to the Adam Gase era. I had a couple of game recap shows where I was venting about Adam Gase featuring Braxton Berrios, making him his go-to guy when Jamison Crowder was out. And that drove me crazy. I remember, especially the home game against Buffalo, I think some of my greatest rants against Adam Gase came because they were featuring Braxton Berrios too much. This is the way I look at it. You have players at the very top of the talent level in the NFL, like an Aaron Donald. No matter what you do with them, they're going to be great. No matter what role you give them, unless you do something crazy, like move them to the offensive side of the ball. But if you put Aaron Donald on the defensive line, no matter where you put him, he's going to be great. Most players, however, have a more limited skill set. And the way you have to approach these players is figure out what they do well and put them in a position to do those things. And also figure out what they don't do well and make sure they're not in those situations where they have to do the things that they don't do well. And that's one of the reasons I think Bill Belichick is so great. I'm not sure there's any coach who's better at figuring out a player's skill set and how to utilize him, how to maximize his strengths and hide his weaknesses. And I think it, right now what you're seeing with Barrios, and he's been impressive over the last couple of weeks, is the Jets are figuring out how to use him. You know, He's a guy with pretty good straight end speed. If he gets rolling, he's pretty fast. So he's been very good in the return game of late. And, you know, he can find a hole in his own as a slot receiver. He can run a shallow cross. Maybe he can run an option route or two. He's a good quality. He's a good backup slot receiver. And I mentioned this on the recap show on Monday that, look, his production wasn't spectacular on Sunday. But if you asked me what would I want out of a backup slot receiver, I'd say, you know, make a few catches, move the chains in some timely situations. And that's what Barrios did in that game. And they've kind of figured out how to utilize him as maybe a guy they try and get the ball to in space as well, try and utilize some of that speed. Maybe he takes kind of a backseat when Elijah Moore's in the lineup, but when Elijah Moore's out, Barrios can be featured more prominently on manufactured touches in space to make life easier. So I, I like Barrios for this role. And, you know, if you got something that's working, keep going with it. I mean, I, I don't see why you, why you just let a guy who's playing pretty well leave in the offseason. Now, Barrios is... Again, a guy I think who I think has rather limited talent. I mean, this is not a go-to guy. I mean, let me tell you what I mean by that. This is like his career year, and he may not even break 400 receiving yards. So that shows you he's probably more of a depth player than a go-to guy. So, I mean, at some point, the price doesn't make sense. But if you can get him back on a reasonable deal, 
I say do it. Why would you not? He's been pretty good. He's been look. He's been better than I thought he'd be. I, I thought he was a guy, a total total replaceable part. I thought he really did not bring much to the table. Listen, he's carved out a really good role for this team, and he's been a helpful player, and he's helped them win a couple games this season, especially the Sunday game against Jacksonville. And going back to what I said about players with limited skill sets, that's one of the reasons free agency is such a dicey proposition, because the Aaron Donalds of the world don't hit free agency. The guys who hit free agency are the players with the more limited skill sets. And when you're signing a free agent from another team, you're taking him out of the role he performed really well with that team. And sometimes you're putting him in a totally different context, asking him to play a totally different role. You know, a few years ago, I remember reading a, an article written by Albert Hainsworth in the Players' Tribune, which is Derek Jeter's website where players write articles and they explain their experiences. And Hainsworth's like one of the biggest busts in NFL free agent history. He, was, he signed with Washington in the offseason of 2009. And it was a $100 million contract, and he pretty much did nothing with Washington. And in that article, he talked about how everything changed once he got to Washington. He did not have the position coach who helped him so much in Tennessee. He talked about how they gave him a totally different role where he was not allowed to make plays. And yeah, I know Hainsworth has some bias, but you know he offered some real insight there as to maybe some of the reasons we don't appreciate how difficult it is to produce in the NFL. And that's, you know, if Barrios goes somewhere else, I'm not sure he's going to be that productive because some other team may put him into a role that he's not suited for. The Jets have found a role where he's suited for. He's a good fit for this system. They figured out a spot for him to play. I see no reason to not at least try and bring him back. And, you know, again, there is a price. He's a role player. He's a depth player. There's a price that's probably too high. I don't think he's a guy you stretch. I don't think he's a guy you give $10 million a year to. But if you can bring him back affordably, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you bring back a guy who's playing pretty well? Now, the thing, the things that I think go a little bit too far, I mean, I'm hearing he's the team MVP. Well, he's the fourth most productive wide receiver on the team. He's not the team MVP. And the one that just drives me crazy is comparing him to Wayne Krebet. I mean, let's slow down there. Wayne Krebet is one of the most iconic players in franchise history. You know, Wayne Krebet is a Jets legend. Wayne Krebet was a good starting receiver for this team. Wayne Krebet had a 1,000-yard season. Braxton Berrios has done a nice job as the number four receiver on this team. Let's go a little easy comparing him to Wayne Krebet. I mean, that's that's close to sinful as far as a Jets fandom is concerned, comparing somebody to Wayne Krebet after a couple good games. Let's slow down there. But I will say this. Berrios has been better than... He's, he's shown more than I thought he would. And that goes, this goes back to last year when Adam Gase kept featuring him, and I had no idea why. If he's not a featured player, if he's a role player, in the role the Jets have him in, he's not bad. He's not bad. So I say, yeah. I say, why not bring him back? Our next question, John, would you be in favor of changing pass interference from spot fouls to 15 yards in the first down? I've seen too many 30 or 40-yard penalties on dubious calls. Oftentimes, these judgment calls by receivers determine the, by referees determine the outcome of the game. I understand the argument that defensive backs would intentionally interfere with receivers if they believe they've been beaten on a long pass play, but it doesn't seem to be the case in college. Oh, I think that's exactly what would happen, though. I mean, I, I think the pro, pro corners are a little bit more sophisticated than college corners. I think a pro corner knows that he's beaten. He's just going to grab the receiver. I think you're going to see just the... It's going to be unwatchable, because like, it's not fun to watch pass interference. It's the type of thing that's going to just happen over and over again when the receiver's beaten. Because you see it in the NFL. You see guys who are beaten on the offensive line commit holding penalties intentionally 
so I, even though it doesn't may not happen as much in college, I just think the players in the NFL are more skilled. They understand when they're beaten more, and they understand when it makes sense to grab a player. So I like the spot foul because essentially you're it's you're not incentivizing anybody to commit the penalty, and you're essentially giving the offense the full restitution. You're essentially giving the offense the full amount that the other team cost them by committing a penalty. So I would not like to see them change that at all. Now ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday show, we will talk about how difficult it is to judge Zach Wilson with some of his key receivers out. But let me tell you something that's not difficult to judge, and that's Built Bar. The new year means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan, because Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick with your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you may be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bar, however, is covered in 100% real chocolate. And most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15. It's one word with no space. L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at Built, B-U-I-L-T, dot com. Thanks again for making Locked On Jets your first listen each day. And make sure to check out the Ultimate College Football Playoff Preview 2021. With local experts, betting advice, and draft analysis, the most comprehensive college football preview is live now. And today we have our weekly mailbag here on Locked On Jets. Our next question, I think it's really hard to judge Wilson since Davis Moore and even Crowder have been out. Nobody else separates in route running. Tight ends Mims, Cole, and Smith are basically practice squad guys at this point. I do see some progress with Wilson. No picks in four games. Still a lot to work on, but I think he has progressed. Don't you think it, if all these guys were healthy, we would see a much better Wilson? Well, I agree to some extent. I do think it's tough to judge Zach Wilson, and that's why like, I'm not going to say that Sunday's game where he only threw for around 100 yards was a negative, because you do need some playmaking ability at the receiver position. That said, I mean, there are some things you can isolate from just the quarterback play. I mean, when I watch some other NFL games, I'll see people comment when a receiver catches an off-target pass, you know, balls behind him, like some of the throws Wilson's made, the receiver just to, to make it, and I see Jets fans say, oh, so you're allowed to make a catch when the ball's behind you. Well, of course you're allowed to make a catch when the ball's behind you, but it's still an off-target throw. It means that you got better receiver play. It doesn't mean that you got better quarterback play. I think with Wilson, it's kind of a work in progress, and I think part of what will determine, I talked about this on yesterday's podcast, part of what will determine whether we view these last couple weeks as progress without the interceptions is whether he continues it against tougher defenses, Tampa Bay and Buffalo. It's going to be tough if he doesn't have any of his key receivers in these games. You know, it may, be, may ultimately be impossible for him. I do wonder to some extent, though, it, is this recent improvement that people are seeing just part of the natural ebbs and flows of rookie quarterback play? It's kind of difficult to say because I think the improvement hasn't has not been spectacular. I don't look at Zach Wilson and now say, all right, now... This is a guy who looks like he really belongs in the NFL. This is a guy who really kind of set the bar real, pretty low. And I almost feel like at this point, anything that's not a disaster is viewed as progress from him. So I need to see more. I think it's possible we're seeing the beginning 
of progress, but I'm not totally convinced yet. I need to see more out of Zach Wilson. I do think the receivers are affecting him to some extent. It's as far as productivity, if you're looking at the stat sheet, yes. Some of the other things, though, I think you can isolate from the surroundings. And I think that it's an open question how much Wilson's really improving right now. Our next question, I heard you say on the Jaguars crossover show that you still think Trevor Lawrence is going to be a pretty good quarterback. Something I have not heard you say about Wilson this season. You'll say things like, I'm not saying he's a bust yet, or he still has a chance to become good, but I haven't seen it yet. What exactly have you seen from Lawrence that makes you so positive about him, but so wishy-washy with Wilson? Is it just being a jaded Jets fan? So full disclaimer, I've not like watched extensive film on Trevor Lawrence, but from what I have, I've seen the flashes. I've seen the flashes that haven't been there with Wilson. I see him at times make some really impressive reads, some really impressive throws, maybe not so much Sunday against the Jets, but part of this also goes back to the narrative of these quarterbacks entering the NFL draft. Lawrence was a guy who was pretty much a lock to go number one for like three years. We knew he was going to be the number one overall pick. Whereas with Wilson, he pretty much had the one great season at BYU. So I think Lawrence has more of a body of work to fall back on to make you believe he's going to straighten things out. Whereas Wilson, there were always those question marks. Was it just a one good year at BYU where he played the soft schedule? And I think that factors into it as well. And that's one of the reasons like I'm hesitant to buy into the argument, well, all these rookie quarterbacks look bad. Well, all these rookie quarterbacks did not enter with the same pedigree. They did not enter the NFL with the same level of sophistication in their games. And I think Wilson's been, I think some of his struggles have been kind of alarming this season. Now, we'll see whether, again, whether those improvements we've seen over the last couple of weeks are sustainable. But I just, I, I haven't seen it from Wilson this year. I really haven't. And again, Take it with a grain of salt, because I have not watched Lawrence as extensively as I've watched Wilson, but I have to say, if Trevor Lawrence was on the Jets right now playing like Zach Wilson, I would have a little bit more confidence just because you have that pedigree to fall back on. You've seen the body of work at Clemson. You know the talent that's there. So Lawrence is the only guy who, right now, I would bet on among the struggling rookie quarterbacks. Uh, You know, I'm not convinced on Fields. I think Fields, honestly, I think Fields gets way too little criticism. I think everybody wants to blame Matt Nagy for his struggles. So I think I'd be worried about Justin Fields if I was a Bears fan. It's not just, so it's not just Wilson. I mean, I think you look across the NFL, you see rookie quarterbacks struggling right now. But I think that there's a difference between the levels of struggling. Again, I have not watched all the film on Lawrence, though. But yeah, listen, I got to be honest with you. If you gave me the choice between Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence right now, I would take Trevor Lawrence. You know, maybe, I hope I'm wrong on that. I hope Zach Wilson goes out there and really shows a lot of improvement beginning over these last two games. But I don't think you can just dismiss what Zach Wilson has done this season. I don't think you can just write it off as rookie struggles because I think Wilson's struggles go beyond rookie struggles. He's looked overwhelmed for most of the season. And even like the games that seem good, really have not been that impressive. Next question, John, Todd Bowles is seemingly going to be a prime candidate in this year's head coaching interview circuit. Why do you think he ultimately failed with the Jets, and what adjustments do you think he has to make in his next job? Well, the biggest reason he failed is that the Jets were a completely dysfunctional organization in his time here, and I think given the lack of talent he had to work with, I'm not sure there are many coaches who could have been successful with the Jets in that time period. That said, I go back to something similar to what I said with Wilson. There are things about head coaching that you can isolate from the talent level. And there were issues with Bowles. There were clearly issues with Bowles. I think, number one, in-game strategy is kind of behind the times, not aggressive enough. 
I think talking about offensive football, he's behind the times. He's still acting like he's in the 1980s, 1990s, where you build your offense through the run game. You you have your offense not lose the game, and you have your defense go out there and make the play to win the game. I'm not sure that's how it works in today's NFL. And you have to look at staff construction. He built terrible coaching staffs. I mean, how many times were the Jets bringing in a coach who had been out of the NFL for two years? I mean, I can think of at least three examples of that. And beyond that, Casey Rogers, he delegated a lot of the defense to Casey Rogers, his friend. And even though he was changing offensive coordinators every year, when Casey Rogers was failing, his friend, he would not make the change. And quite frankly, we may be close to a similar situation where Robert Sala has to make a decision whether he puts his career over a friendship because Jeff Ulbrich's defense has certainly not been performing as well as we were hoping it would be. And I think the Jets might be might have to consider a change of defensive coordinator this offseason. So those are the things you got to improve upon. If, you're, if Bowles, I mean, I think for if, if it was me, if some fan of a team that hired Bowles was asking, what's the thing I should watch for? I'd say, is he going to hire Casey Rogers? Because if he hires Casey Rogers again as his defensive coordinator, it shows he's learned nothing. And beyond that, a better sense of offense, which, I mean, coming from Bruce Arias, you would think he would have an appreciation for offensive football, for throwing the ball, for making big plays, where he really did not. Yeah, and so those are my in-game strategies. He's got got to get better on in-game strategy, figure out a way to do that. Those are the three big things for me. Now ahead, we will finish our mailbag. I will take a question on whether Robert Sala has shown us anything this season to make us believe he's the answer on the Locked On Jets podcast. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, I've been listening to Joe Beningo's podcast in addition to yours, of course, and he repeatedly makes the point of what has Robert Sala done to convince you that he's the right coach for the Jets? While it's part of his act to be disgusted by everyone, I do think he has a valid point here. Aside from the fact Sala is new and needs more time and has dealt with injuries, what has he proactively done to convince us he's the right guy? I can't think of much. We always ask this question about Zach Wilson, so why shouldn't we be asking it of Robert Sala? Yeah, I think it's a fair point, and I love Joe Beningo. I think he's the greatest. I always enjoy his rants. Absolutely. Whenever the Jets have a terrible loss, you always have to listen to him because he's got the greatest rants in the world. I think the thing with Joe, though, is like, Anytime your team loses a game, Joe wants to change everything. He wants to fire everybody. He wants to get the quarterback out of here. Joe, like, whenever there's a loss, Joe Joe would, like, completely change everything with the franchise. I don't really have a good answer for what Robert Sala has shown us to convince us he's the guy. In fact, if that's your criteria, you'd have a pretty good face to make a, a pretty good case to make a change this offseason. I think the case for, making, for bringing back Robert Sala is that, number one, you got to give a coach a chance to grow into the job. I mean, we always talk, you know, you mentioned the quarterbacks. We always talk about giving the quarterback time to develop. Well, I think frequently, if you look across the landscape of the NFL, teams give quarterbacks way too much time, but sometimes they move on from a coach way too quickly. In fact, I think teams frequently make the mistake of moving on from a coach too soon, way more than they make the mistake of moving on from a quarterback too soon. But beyond that, you know, I look at the NFL landscape and, you know, Let's say the Jets fire Robert Sala. Who are they going to bring in? They're probably going to bring in some coordinator. And what are the odds that coordinator is going to succeed year one? I would guess it's probably somewhere in the same ballpark of Robert's, the odds of Robert Sala figuring it out. And that's kind of where I come on the side of these days. It's not so much you need to give a coach X amount of years. I've kind of changed my mind on this through the years. I don't think you necessarily need to give a coach X amount of years because you've seen plenty of instances where a team made a quick change and it ended up being the right move. It's more, 
if you're going to make a change, it's pretty disruptive because you've been trying to get players who fit that coach's system. Now you're going to have to get rid of them, get all new players. I think that if you're going to make a change, you have to like have a pretty good sense that the guy you're replacing him with, the replacement is going to be an upgrade. So I don't know if like hypothetically Pittsburgh got rid of Mike Tomlin. Would you make a move then? I think you might. But if you're just looking at a coordinator after one year of Salah, are we really convinced Salah can't figure it out that some some coordinator's got a much better chance of succeeding? I'm just not there. So I, I think Beningo makes good points. I mean, I think this has not been a good year for Robert Salah. I don't think he's been impressive at all. But it just seems like it would be a move for the sake of making a move, unless you got somebody with a proven track record. But I, I mean, I don't want to move on from Salah after one year just to bring in another coordinator because... Odds are that would work just as badly, and that coordinator would have the same growing pains year one that Salah's been having. And our last question, aside from solving the kicking problem, where do you think Joe Douglas needs to improve the most? That is an excellent question. I think if I had... I have a number of criticisms of Douglas, the way he's run the team, but I think he falls a little bit too in love with project-type players. You know, guys with massive physical tools. And listen, you gotta have tools to play in this league, but... I think if you look through his tenure with the Jets, he's fallen in love with too many guys just because they have the tools, but they were very raw. I mean, James Morgan in the fourth round is an example. Another example might be Jabari Zaniga in the third round, a guy who maybe had the physical attributes to play as a pass rusher in the NFL, but really needed a lot of work. Or even if you look to his free agent signings, you could talk about Jared Davis. So I think maybe Joe needs to not be so in love with pure reclamation projects, pure guys who maybe have the physical tools to succeed but haven't put it together yet. And listen, I understand as you get to the later rounds of the draft, everybody's flawed and it's worth maybe rolling the dice on a guy with physical tools. But I think maybe he's fallen a little bit too in love with the physical characteristics at the expense of readiness to contribute to a team. That's my view. I, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of other things you could come up with. Anyway, that's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.